Hello, Happies. How you doing, baby? How you doing? You know, I got a little special guest here with me right now. She's going to say hello to y'all. Go ahead, honey. Say hello. Hello, everyone. That is my beautiful wife. Thank you. You can leave now. Get out of here. Okay, thank you. <laughs> you should see how cute this woman is, man. <laughs> Goodbye, my spouse. So today I'm going to continue my discussion about heroes and inspirations, right? Um, it's kind of like a commemorative celebration of the Singularity podcast. Hopefully, uh, you're not bored with this. <laughs> I'm trying to do five Singularity podcasts in a row, um, delivered to you one after another, one day after another. So there should be five days of continuous Singularity podcasts for you to digest at your leisure. But uh, as a commemoration of reaching my 50th, I figured I'd bang out about five episodes all at once and jam it in there, man. Give you a bunch of stuff to listen to, to work to, whatever. So hopefully you're appreciating it. I hope you are, because I'm having a great time. (laughs) Anyway, so now today, what I want to talk about are, first of all, a couple of different painters, artists that I find inspiring, not just for painting, but really just, you know, for creative inspiration, right? And, um... Man, there are three major painters that I would mention right off the bat that I find to be more inspirational than most others. Now, I'm not one of those guys who's like really going to like talk about Picasso, you know, I'm not going to talk about Rembrandt, you know, although I do like realism, um, the three major painters that I really, really like a lot and for very different reasons, but they're all very inspiring. Jackson Pollock, number one, without a doubt, is probably not just a hero to me as a painter, but as a musician, man, as a just in general, you know, uh, The idea of Jackson Pollock, what he meant, what he was doing, inspires me, ooh, man, in so many ways. And I do like his paintings, okay? And they are kind of like the net result of the larger thing with Jackson Pollock, which to me is the idea of challenging what is conventionally acceptable you know what everyone else is doing and breaking away from the norm and really going off into your own direction and his drip paintings you know his action paintings you know uh, his drip technique those things yes they are transmitted to canvas and they become tangible paintings But to me, it's really more about the spirit of what he was doing. And uh, there are many things about Jackson Pollock that I see uh, that are similar. uh, Things things that we have in common. 
okay? Uh, talent is not one of them, okay? But um, I think that Jackson Pollock, even though he was like a very heavy drinker and all those kinds of things, uh, I'm not a drinker, not a very big drinker. Um, uh, he was kind of like a blue collar guy. You know, he wore work boots. Uh, he was utility, you know, he was not fancy. He was a utilitarian. He was sometimes a little abrasive, a little rough around the edges, but, you know, he was eccentric. He was doing his own thing. You, you got to kind of cut somebody like that a little bit of slack, right? Because they're really kind of reinventing the wheel, right? So, so the weirder someone is, uh, you know... Oh, okay, okay, okay. I guess there's a difference between just being outright weird and being weird or eccentric and, like, being creative. Like, you're a positive ion in the world, right? Um, and Jackson Pollock, I think, for the most part, was that. He had his ups and downs. He had his, you know, idiosyncrasies, whatever, okay? But to me... When I see his paintings and I watch documentary films about him, I watch him being interviewed, he's an inspiration to me. I should always remember, you know, that, that inspiration to always remember to be weird and to rethink things, try to go around the normal thing and come up with something fresh and new. No matter how weird it might be, give it a try. Go for it, you know? And if you're happy with the result, go ahead and make it available to the public. Bam, done. That's it, Jackson Pollock, man. That's what he is to me. The next artist, painter, that I would talk about, this will probably be a shocker to most people, is Norman Rockwell. And I'll tell you what, I have gotten laughed out of the room so many times when I've said this because a lot of people see Norman Rockwell as being kind of like Pollyannish, you know, like, okay, this is a world that never existed. The world that he depicts in his paintings is unrealistic. Like this is a world that never existed. It's a fairy tale. It's a bunch of BS. You know, that's the attitude, right? But it's like, hello, of course it's not real. Of course it's not. It's what we want the world to be. Don't you get that? Like, that's what we should be aspiring to. The innocence. The happiness. The, the light, gentle calmness and love. That's what we should be aspiring to. So when you look at a Norman Rockwell painting, well, first of all, let me say this. Okay, because I'm kind of wrong. A little bit. Uh, in my opinion, okay, in my arrogant opinion, I am AO. Um, you may see an, a Norman Rockwell painting and say, this is a world that never existed. I mean, this is just BS. This guy's living in La La Land, you know? Well, let me tell you something. You're wrong because for some people, that's what it was like. Uh huh. Yeah, it was. And I know a handful of them, trust me, all right? There are some people, when they see those paintings, it's reflecting their reality, okay? But more often than not, that's 
not the case. More often than not, it is a representation of what the world could be, or maybe what the world should be. You know, a reminder of what we really are and what people really want for themselves. Because whether you want to admit it or not, as far as I'm concerned, everybody wants a little bit of Norman Rockwell in their life. Because life is hard and it sucks and it's difficult and it's a struggle. And sometimes it's nice to have just some kindness, right? Some rest and to just be happy (laughs) for crying out loud. So that is why Norman Rockwell is an inspiration to me. And I don't care what anybody ever says, you know, I just don't care. And, you know, when my wife and I got married, okay, one of the things we did that we planned for our wedding, okay, when our family came to the wedding and everything, uh, we planned a trip to Norman Rockwell's studio. And there's also a museum built on the property. And let me tell you, okay, the setup that this guy had, the life that he led, the work that he generated, the meaning, the power, the technical execution of what he was able to do on canvas with a paintbrush, the studio he worked in, the space, the little things he had hanging on the walls, the things that inspired him, all those things, they were like, well, how would I say it? It was like hallowed ground to me. And it was an inspiration and like how my space I create things in should be. Like what should be on the wall in my studio, you know? It comes from Norman Rockwell and the spirit of Norman Rockwell. And I will never, ever change my mind about him. He is a hero. He is an inspiration. Yeah, he's not cool. Yeah, he's not hip. He's not New York. He's not Paris. He's not a fancy schmancy impressionist. But he was a master painter. He would have never gotten to where he got to if he wasn't. And you know what? He was a nice, funny, simple, modest guy. No matter how much money he made, no matter how famous he became, he didn't change. He stayed kind, he stayed modest, and he just got better and better and better as he painted. And I'll tell you this, my hope, my aspiration, right, is to be like him. You know, he had this, this is, well, okay, okay, I guess this is something you might not know. You probably don't because I didn't until I went to his studio and, you know, took the tour, you know, um, he died with a unfinished painting on his canvas. That is something that most people don't really know or understand. And I do because I found out and, oh man, I thought about that so much. You know, I hope, I hope that on the day I die, you know, on the day I breathe my last, you know, Uh, 
I will be working on an unfinished track, an unfinished song, you know, uh, slumped over my desk, you know, my recording console, and uh, just laying there, you know, with this unfinished thing I was working on. Because there's no guarantee that that's how it'll go. So it's a little morbid, I guess, but. You know, you got to think about this stuff sometimes, right? I don't dwell on it, but I do think about it, and I can only hope that I'd be fortunate enough to be like Norman Rockwell, you know, (laughs) an unfinished painting on the easel. Like, up to the day he died, he worked. There is no retirement for us, you know? There is no, okay, now I'm done working and I will retire never going to happen, folks. Not with me. Hell no. And it certainly didn't happen with Norman Rockwell. And, you know, I guess another thing to be noted about Norman Rockwell, a little sidebar, is that, you know, he didn't die from, like, a drug overdose or in a tragic car accident because he was drunk like Jackson Pollock did. You know, he died of old age. <laughs> you know? He lived a life that was wholesome and good and his paintings reflected that. Doesn't sound like such a bad thing to me. It sounds like something to aspire to. And I don't care what anybody says. Okay. Now, now I could talk about Salvador Dali, or I could talk about Vincent Van Gogh, or Monet, Matisse, and all the greats. I could talk about them. Even Rembrandt, Leonardo da Vinci. You know, I could talk about all those guys. But I won't. They get like an honorable mention because truthfully, while I like the work they made and things like that, you know, eh, they're good. They're great. I understand. They don't really inspire me. But there are a couple more painters that I'll share with you that inspire me. Um... Not like it's really important, but hey, this is a podcast that's not concerned with anything like that, right? Um, There is a painter, I believe, his name is pronounced Bergerot. French painter, I believe. Um, He made my radar, man, just a couple of years ago, maybe. That's why I don't know too much about him, but he was a realist. His paintings were, as far as I can tell, um, without question, in my opinion, they are the most masterfully executed portrayals of the human form that I have ever seen. And they are so magnificent and so well done that I'm convinced, and I mean this with every molecule in my being, okay, that this guy and his painting were not really of this world, in my opinion. There was definitely a supernatural element to what he was doing on canvas. Um, You may look at his paintings and disagree, But as far as I'm concerned, uh, 
I've never seen anything like it before. I don't think in my memory there was a painter that did it as well as he did. I just don't. Not even Rembrandt. This guy just had something going on. His hand was touched by God. And what he generated on canvas is, well, reflective of that. You know, this conversation this man must have been having with his creator because it is imbued on canvas. Okay? Trust me. And that's all I'll say about him. But uh, when I see his painting, it's what's possible. What the human being is possible of creating as a painter. Like the highest level of realism. For whatever that's worth. Because not too many people find value in that anymore. But I'm not one of them. I'm, I like realism. Oh no, that's a big taboo in the world of art. You know, the artsy-fartsies just don't like realism. Well, whatever. I have no use for them either. <laughs> is that harsh to say? Probably is, but I don't care. You know, it's one of the things I hate about art. I mean, I really hate is that attitude, you know? That shit attitude where they just think... You know, they're like so uppity and snotty and, you know, they castigate anything that's not modernism or something, you know, like shut up, go away, you know, go back to where you came from and stay the hell away from me because I like realism and I don't care what people say. I don't care if it's not cool anymore because they say so. It's not cool anymore. I don't care. And last but not least, artists that had a major impact on me still do. They inspire me to get to work, right? A hero. Andy Warhol, without question. And I'm going to tell you why, because I can hear people gasp. I can feel it, you know? You know what? I'm going to get a sip of my coffee here. I'd suggest you do the same if you have a cup. that good. My throat was getting a little raspy. Not anymore. Anyway, Andy Warhol, you know, he gets looked down on by many of the elite artists because I guess they see him as kind of like cheap, uh, you know, not, not a real artist, you know, it's like, oh, please, you know. When it comes to modernism and, you know, rethinking things and challenging the norms. Yeah, you got your Keith Herrings and you got your, what, you know, Basquiat and you got your, you know, Banksy, you know. But Andy Warhol, he was ahead of the curve. And, you know, you may or may not know this, but artists, painters um, that use... Okay, primary colors, red, yellow, blue, in their work. They're frowned on because, you know, those are the basic colors. And, you know, if you're really an astute painter, you go beyond the primary colors and you, you know, create your own colors. And 
that's part of the artistry of being an artist or painter, right? Did you know that? Well, that's a fact, okay? Well, knowing that, then we approach Andy Warhol's work with a different kind of sensibility because Andy Warhol worked in primary colors and he knew exactly what he was doing and he didn't care. <laughs> he didn't care. People hated his work because it was too simple. It was, you know, lowbrow, you know, it wasn't high-minded. Wrong. You don't get it. He's thumbing his nose at you. You don't make the rules. There aren't any. It's art. And he did what he did, and he did it knowing exactly what he was doing. And if you don't see the brilliance in that, which a lot of people don't, man, <laughs> because I see it, you know, and I laugh, I laugh, I laugh. Because with Andy Warhol, as eccentric as he was, as creative and weird as he was, because he was all of those things, an exemplary example of weirdness, you know, done right. Um, there was always a sense of humor to everything he was doing, a sense of irony to what he was doing. And for the most part, really, he was the first to do it that way. Um, that can be argued, I know, but uh, uh, in my opinion, Andy Warhol is an example of kind of like how a painter, an artist can be like a punk rocker. Like he's the art world example of like the sex pistols. Do you follow me? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's been done this way all this time and now I'm going to just do it a completely different way. And I'm going to reflect what I see in the world and how I feel about it in this way, you know, by posting a poster of soup cans, you know, screen print of soup cans. And, you know, while that may seem simple to you, screen printing is actually a pretty complicated process. I mean, it's really easy to get it wrong. So the medium he was working in with that particular piece or the one with Marilyn Monroe uh, pretty high-minded, you know, pretty good approach. Now, people don't get it. Some people thumb their nose at it, whatever. Hey, man, it ain't lost on me. Okay, I get it. Because there is this world around art that is elite, and it is snobbish, and it is, you know, uh, judgmental, and it just casts off anybody that doesn't fit into the box, Right? Warhol was kind of one of those where people just did not want to have anything to do with what he was doing. They didn't get it. Okay. They do now at $50 million per painting, you know, but at the time, much like Vincent Van Gogh, like no one cared, you know, they thought he was terrible. You know, can you believe that? There was a time in the world when Vincent Van Gogh was alive and painting and people totally, totally disregarded his painting because he didn't fit into the box that they had made for art people, you know? Well, 
That lived on through Andy Warhol. Trust me. Okay, what he was doing was not simple. Okay, okay, that's wrong. Maybe it was a little simple. But I could argue, technically, what he was doing was pretty challenging to do. And to have the guts to put that in front of those people and then weather and survive the reaction that it got. Folks, that's what art is. You know, that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to challenge you. And, you know, I've heard it said, like, the problem with modernist painting, okay, and the difference between modernist painting and traditional paintings is that with traditional paintings... And, okay, not just traditional or uh, modernist painting, but sculptures as well. Okay, so sculpture, painting, art, right? The, the, the problem with modernist paintings and sculptures is that for the most part, okay, not always, but for the most part, you look at it once and you get from it everything it has to give to you. You don't need to go back and see it again. You get it instantly, and it's a one-time shot, right? But with traditional sculptures, paintings, you know, masterworks, right? Stuff that really was difficult to execute and transmit onto canvas. Like, it really took skill and a lot of thought and time and trial and error uh, for instance, you know, any painting by Bergerot, any painting by uh, Jackson Pollock or um, Vincent van Gogh, okay? Uh, you look at it over and over and over and over and over, and each time you look at it, you might see something new. You notice a different element or aspect to the painting. That, my friends, is the sign, at least in my opinion, and according to some scholars, too. It's not just, you know, me thinking this up. I learned it from somewhere. But that's the idea behind masterworks. And that goes for sculpture, music, anything. Is that you can go back over and over again and almost always discover something new in it. Okay, do you follow what I'm saying? So, for example, I make a sculpture, a modern art sculpture of a toilet with a set of dentures sitting on the rim. And I call it uh, Mankind. Okay? Uh, So you walk up to it. There's a toilet with dentures on it. It's called Mankind. Okay, you might think about it, then you move on. You don't go back and look at it. You know, I really need to go back and look at those dentures again on that toilet rim. There might be something there I didn't get the first time. Wrong. Next. You know what I mean? Uh, Yeah, it may have value, but think about what I'm telling you, right? You know, you go look at that toilet with the dentures, then you step over here to, you know, a Matisse. You know, impressionist painting, you know. Uh, you can go back for the rest of your life and look at that painting and almost always find a new thing. You know, uh, look at it in a new way, you know, a fresh way of looking at it. 
that is the sign of great work. That can be argued. There are people who are poo-pooing that right now as I'm saying it. They're rolling their eyes at me, but you know, like I said a thousand times, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I know what I like. I know why I like it. And I know what I don't like. And I most definitely know why I don't like it. Okay. Um, And besides, really, at the end of the day, especially with modernist stuff, if you ask me, it's not spoken about or anything, but this is just a conclusion I've come to over the past, what, 48 years, you know? Um, The idea behind modernism is to take the beauty of realism, you know? Like there's a beautiful painting on the wall, the Mona Lisa, right? Very famous painting. Take that painting off the wall, scramble it up, you know, with a razor blade and some, you know, whatever, and then stick it back on the wall. Now it's modern art. Like to take the beauty of realism and to ruin it and represent it. That's really kind of what I see when I see modern art. And it's for those reasons why I usually don't like modern art. Now, I'm supposed to be talking about what inspires me. But I suppose there's some value in things that are negative that can inspire me. So I am repelled by modernism in a lot of ways. And that is reflected in probably a lot of what I'm making or doing. You know, I'm trying to make things that sound pretty or things that sound calming and beautiful. Trying to imbue my work with beauty, right? Um, yet living in a modern age. So go figure. (laughs) Um, And man, I'll tell you what, that's where I'm going to leave it for right now because uh, still got some territory to cover. Hope you're still on board with me. I hope I'm not driving you crazy, you know, talking about things that don't matter. But I don't know. I think they kind of do, don't they? I would love to hear each and every one of you that's listening to this podcast right now, I'd love to hear your lists. You know? I would love to hear your lists. What inspires you? Who are your heroes? This stuff is important. Especially if you're in the business of art and music or whatever. Like, you're, you're in that game. This is the stuff that matters, man. You know, why are you doing what you do? Why? What inspires it? What is your aim? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to tell me through your art, through your music? What is the message? You know, uh, is it a positive one? Is it a negative one? Do you wish me harm through your art? You know, are you aiming that at me or is it pleasant? Hey, you know, it sounds arbitrary to you, but (laughs) if that's the case, Go back to my episode. Man, I don't even remember how long ago it was now. It was so long. I don't even know what number episode it was, but it was called Custody of the Senses. Go back and have a listen. And uh, you'll kind of have an idea of what I'm talking about. You know what? And that reminds me. I wanted to say one more thing today to you. Other than I hope you're really having a great day. But, um... 
You know, I have this wealth of podcasts that I did before I had the Singularity podcast, and it was called Snowflake 33. And I have about 30 episodes there for you to go back and listen to if you're so inclined. And the reason I bring it up is because, um, well, one, I, I did work hard on those and I'm proud of a lot of them. But um, especially in those times when I'm not releasing regularly, like if you're really looking for something new to listen to, uh, there's a treasure trove of stuff there to get you through your workday. You know, if you want to listen to something uh, and there's not a new Singularity podcast to listen to, go back and check out some of the Snowflake 33 podcasts. You know, I've actually done that myself recently um, just for the heck of it. Gone back and just listened to what I was doing back then. It's not bad. It's actually pretty good. It got me to where I'm at now. So for what it's worth, there you go. It's at your disposal, folks. It's there for you to enjoy. And uh, so that's where I'm going to leave it for today. I will pick up in the next episode my last installment of, you know, inspirations and heroes. Or maybe heroes and inspirations. This probably has more of a ring to it, doesn't it? Um, So until then, until the next one, this is Mike Bostwick from Pipe Choir Records signing off. And remember, folks... If you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy, everybody.